So, this morning, don't switch off. I'm going to be speaking on God's love. Something that might be a common theme, or you may have heard people preach on before, but I'm going to try and explain it to you in a way that you haven't potentially seen before, and in a simplistic way. I want to start at the end. So when I originally, a few, two weeks ago, I was reading through 1 Corinthians 13, and I was just reading on the different attributes of love, that love is patient and love is kind. And immediately the first thing that the Lord brought to my remembrance is the way that I treat my children and how very quickly I become impatient or potentially angry with them. And I realized that I, as an imperfect father, loving my children, do not comprehend and do not love them with the same love that God describes in His Word for me. And so my question immediately became, God, how do I love my children and the people around me with the same love that you have for me? And I felt the Father give me a key. <coughs> so, excuse me. So I'm going to start there. He said to me, you need to come and first receive my love. And then you can give that love to other people. So I want to throw in two bonus scriptures this morning. The first one is from 1 John verse 10. It's not going to come up on the board. And it says this, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And it says in 1 John 4 verse 19, we love because He first loved us. Now the problem with this word love is that it's probably um, if I say to you the word love, many things will come into your mind, many definitions, maybe biblical definitions, maybe definitions of love that you've seen through other people or love that you've experienced, love that you've received. Maybe you even view in love from, through a broken lens. The word love has been almost completely stripped of its meaning in nowadays. I can love a pizza. I can love somebody's outfit. I can love a car. I can even love my pet. But this is not the love that I want to talk about this morning. The world understands that love is the probably most desired attribute and emotion that there is. We see it in Hollywood and the movies that we watch it's romanticized. We see it in the songs that we sing, um, poetry. Nowadays, little emoticons, and you see all these people on TikTok giving this like, how does it go, Liam? I think you had to do it once, eh? This. But people always throw in love, you know. Someone will throw a comment out on WhatsApp, there's a little heart, you know. Love, stripped of its meaning. Now I can remember from a very young, early age, um, just thinking of some of the songs is um, my dad had the, a Beatles album. And because Dion Delport sang last week, I feel at liberty <laughs> to sing. And the song went like this. Love, love me do. 
you know I love you. I'll always be true. So please love me do. That's also the first time anyone's heard me sing. <laughs> the problem with, with those songs is, I think Michael Jackson probably sang it about it the most honestly, and he says, it's the way you make me feel, you really turn me on. <laughs> and love has become about us. It's become a subjective perspective of the way that we believe love should be, or the way that we interpret it. So when I say love, what is your definition of love, and where would you get it? Romance novels, Hollywood movies, songs, maybe watching relationships that your friends have, maybe you think of the love of a parent or the love that you have for a child. They all fall short. So I wrote down, just thinking about it, a couple of the benefits of love. And I want to highlight four, but they all kind of flow and intermingle into one another. The first benefit of love is identity. Identity, it gives you, it identifies you with the person that you receive the love from. So I may be the son of a father. I have a unique relationship with him. It's his love that says that you're special to me. It can even change the way that you view yourself. I wrote down the example of a son is born to his father, and he knows sonship through his father's love. And yet, another child is born and discarded by the world and is adopted into a family. And that same father shares love with a son who is not his own. And the identity of that child is changed by the love. He becomes a legitimate son, no less than the real one. The other thing that it gives you is value. Generally, you attribute value to the things that you love. You're willing to sacrifice or pay for something that you love. This value comes from the external. We think in a, the African um, uh, cultural thing is to pay labola of someone that you love. You show them your love by actually being willing to pay for them, to give up something for them. And the last thing that love does is it gives you a place of belonging and security. We all want to know that there's somewhere that we can go where we can be ourselves, where people love us, and we receive love from them. So what happens when love is removed from our lives? Let's look at identity. People who don't receive love actually have an identity of brokenness. And to a degree, that's all of us. And then what we do is we try to find identity from an external, because love comes from externally. It's not internal. And so we try to find our identity in other things. An example is, imagine a, a young girl who never receives the love of a father. 
And when she grows up, she keeps finding herself in the arms of many men, searching for the love of a father. She has a broken identity. Value. If you haven't received love, you feel worthless. It's like you have been discarded. And so we start to, you find people who haven't received love can even find their value, their validation in other things. Maybe it's a career. If I earn a lot of money, people will love me. That will become my identity and my value. Maybe they'll even look for love if they didn't receive it from their family, from strangers. I can't go onto Facebook anymore or YouTube shorts without seeing some girl dressed in scantily outfits, scantily dressed girl in outfits where she's either bending over or showing how flexible she is to the world. And I've got to ask why. What value is she receiving? What love is she seeking for that she's trying to find in the eyes of strangers? And the last thing is belonging and security. You think of young boys who maybe didn't have a father and they join gangs. A place of belonging. They just want to be loved. Communities with similar interests. People want to join places where they feel loved, where there's common interest. So I thought I'll just give you a quick statistic. From, from very young, we know as parents that kids, and you know yourself, that you, it's, there's a desire in you to be loved. Did you know that only 37% of children in South Africa live under the same roof as their father? Here's a worldwide statistic from the U.S. Department of Health showing that of the fatherless, 63% of all youth suicides come from homes where there's no father. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are fatherless home. 85% of all children who show behavioral disorders, fatherless home. 80% of rapists with anger problems, fatherless home. 71% of all high school dropouts, fatherless home. 75% of adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers, fatherless home. 71% of pregnant teenagers, fatherless home. 63% of youth suicides come from a fatherless home. It's amazing what a loss of love can do to a human being. You become broken. Let's look at another institution that's with fatherless. This institution that we call marriage, which is between two people who fall in love or who have love for one another and say, I will love you for the rest of my life. It's ex widely accepted that half of all first marriages end in a divorce. But as mentioned above, this applies to only first-time marriages. Those who wed multiple times have a far higher rate of divorce. In fact, only, well, 67% of second marriages end in divorce and 73% of third marriages end in divorce. And yet even after divorce and going through all that hurt, people get remarried. Why? Because they're longing for love. But they seem to have a misunderstanding of it. How many times have we heard that people 
fall out of love, which is a very interesting concept because my Bible says that love never fails. So let me make this a bit light with a story or a joke. A man is stuck in a, not stuck, he's in a, he's in a marriage and he comes to his pastor and he says, Pastor, I want a divorce. And the pastor says, you can't divorce your, you, the Bible says that you must love your wife. He says, I, I just, I can't, and, and, I, maybe I love it, but I just can't live with her anymore. So the pastor says, okay, move her out to the house next door to you. And then the Bible says, love your neighbor. <laughs> so the man's like, no, man, I'm not getting anywhere on this. I want a divorce. I need to get rid of this woman. So he says, Pastor, I just can't live with her. She makes me so frustrated. I'm angry. So the pastor says, it sounds like she's your enemy. And at that, the man clicks and doesn't go any further. Because the Bible says to love your enemy. Thank you. So before I get on to the, the Bible's definition of love, I, I googled what is love. And it led me to one of the top psychology websites worldwide. And I wanted to see what the world, how the world would define love. And this is what it says. It is a question that has been asked for centuries and a popular blog topic. People seeking relationships in their lives often struggle with what it truly means. Love is, however, far more than just what we feel for our intimate partner. We love our children and our parents. We love our pets. The sunrise over the ocean, the redwoods, and the smell of bay leaves cooking in the soup grandma used to make on a cold evening. There are so many ways that we use the word love. Love is given and received. It's something that arises from within us. When we were moved, grateful, comforted, or even when we were grieving, we have romantic love, the love of a parent for a child, the love of a child for a parent, love of our friends, and love of the planet. Love arises when we were doing something that brings us joy, our passion for our creative outlets, our adventures, or our moments of absolute silliness. Sounds okay at the moment. A couple of things. And then goes on to say this. It's hard to come up with something simple and clear that captures this vast, unlimited noun and verb with so many implications. But I have three words that for me encapsulate the essence of this word we call love. And these are the three words. Being fully present. Goes on to say, we are human beings, not human doings. It is our being, our true self within, that is the fountain of love. Makes me want to vomit. Going about our doings through the day may get the bills paid or clean up the kitchen, but it is from our core being that love emanates. I don't know about you, but sometimes... Um, pure frustration and anger emanate from my core being. We can do all those actions, especially when I read something like this. We can do all those actions while deeply connected to our being and bring love to all that we offer the world. And we can also radiate love simply by just being here at the foot of a tree, in the post office, or holding our child's hand. Remember that you are who you are precedes what you do and the deepest level of your being 
is love itself. Rubbish. Rubbish. You have to entirely redefine the word love in order for that to even be partially true. But this is what the world is feeding us love is. Love emanates from you. You are the source of love. You know what the problem with you is? One, you're broken. And number two, you're subject to change. That means I am valid to get a divorce because if I loved yesterday and I change, I no longer have to love because love emanates from me and I define what love is. We can see that we need a concrete, objective, solid definition for what love is. So now that we've heard the hogwash of the world, I want to read a scripture to you from 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11 and 19. Now, think of the contrast of what the world views love as and where love comes from when we read this. It says, dear friends, let us love one another. And the love that is being mentioned, there is an agape love. It is a sacrificial love. For love comes from God. God is the source of love. You are not the source of love. Everyone who loves has been born of God. And once again, that love is not an eros, romantic love. It is not the love that you have for your child. You are not born of God because you have some form of love. You are born of God only when you possess the agape love of God. And that love comes from God. You cannot give it if you haven't received it. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then in verse 19 it says, we love because he first loved us. You cannot love with a pure and holy love, with what love was really meant to be, unless you have first received that from the source and the definer of love. It is impossible. I encourage you to go and read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm not going to do it now and look at all the attributes of love. Can you go back, Louis, to where it says God is love? So what people like to do is they like to go, God is love. And that is what they do is they, they make it an equal sign. So in maths, if I said A equals B, I can also go B therefore equals A. It's reversible. But you cannot do this with that statement. God is love. Yes, love is so intrinsic and attached to the character of God that is so much a part of his being that you can say that God is love. But I cannot reverse it and say that love is God. 
If you have experienced a love in your life from a husband, a spouse, a father, a child, you have not experienced God. But the problem with the culture that we live in is not that people see God as a God who isn't of love. The problem with the culture that we live in is that they want to take one attribute of God, the attribute of love, and create a God who loves. And so we hear a typical question is, how can a God of love send someone to hell? The problem is that God is a simplistic being. Not that He's simple, but that every attribute interacts with every attribute all the time. So we know that God is love. But what about God is holy? What about God is righteous? What about God is just? So the love of God is a holy love. He is lovingly righteous and lovingly just. God is eternal. The love of God is eternal. We cannot separate out love. Romans 1 verse 25 says this. They exchanged. This is talking about how Mankind is heaping up the wrath of God against them. And it says this in verse 25. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. Every time you take God and you overemphasize His love and you make Him all about love, what you do is that you actually create an idol, but not one made of wood. You create a God that is other to the true God. You create a God in the image that you want Him to bear and not in His true image. So when we look at love, we can't study the concept of love looking at the broken. Let me give you an example. Imagine I was walking down a street. Got to get my the name out here. Imagine I was walking down the street and I, I saw a whole bunch of multicolored little beautiful pieces of glass. And I picked them up and I thought, wow, this glass is so beautiful. I'm going to scoop it all together and I'm going to place it in a vase. I'll put some water in and I'm going to stick a rose in it and I'm going to put it in my bathroom next to my toilet. Such beautiful glass. People will love to look at it. I've just created a definition from something that was broken. The word that I was looking at was the Sainte Chapelle. The most beautiful stained glass windows I've seen in all my life. Can you imagine that that glass actually came from a broken window that landed on the floor? And while I've trivialized it and put it next to my toilet as a decoration, the original intention of it was to be this incredible beautiful work of art in all of its glory. So we don't define God by the love that we see around us. We have to define God the way that He sees love. And His love for us the way that He sees love. Because His love is holy. And the word holy means that it is totally other, like nothing on earth. It is set apart from anything that you've experienced. So we need to go back to the Creator in order to find out what love looks like. 
I just want to read this quickly. It says in Colossians 1, that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. That means that Jesus was before creation. It says, in the beginning, God. So before creation. All things have been created through him and for him. That means even love. The love that we experience was created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. How do we know that God is not an, a God who created something and he steps back and he waits for time to play itself out? Because in him, everything has been held together. That means that if you experience any measure of, you, of love in your life right now, it's because he is holding it together. In Hebrews 1, it says that he sustains everything by his powerful word. And later it says he will roll up, they will perish, but you will remain. Talking about the heavens and the earth. You will roll them up like a garment. This is the God that we worship. So let's go to John 17, verse 24, as we now try to look at this love and try to understand the love of God from His lens. So we know that in the beginning, Jesus was never created, and God, it blows your mind, and it's so hard to understand, but God has, is self-existent. He was neither created, He has been eternal. He was before time. So, in the scripture, I want you to see what was God doing before he created the world. It says, Father, now Jesus is praying before he goes to the cross, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Love is not a created attribute. It was a part of God's character and nature before the creation of the world. And in love, God creates. We were birthed out of His love. And perfect love was being enjoyed by God amongst the Trinity. As the Father loved the Son and the Son loved the Father, He never needed to create us in order to be loved. He was perfect in love. We know in Genesis 1 that God is speaking amongst himself because the word for God there is plural. It's in its plural form. And he says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And in verse 27 of Genesis 1, it says, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. Have you ever thought of what the image of God really means in His likeness? We know that it can't be physical attributes. God does not have two eyes like you and I have two eyes. He doesn't have ears like you and I have ears. How do we know that? Well, God is omni uh, omnipresent. How could something physical be in all places at once? In fact, in John 4, verse 24, it says, God is spirit. 
So when it says that he made us in his image, what is it really talking about? It's talking about the non-material aspects of a person. His moral sensibilities, his intellectual abilities, his will, and his emotions. God has emotions. You have emotions. God has a will. You have a will. You have free choice. God's will's perfect. Yours isn't. It's so interesting, actually, that when Jesus is in the garden praying that God would take the cup of wrath away from him, he says, Father, not my will, which means that Jesus has a will, but your will be done. And in love, he submits to his Father. God has a will. Have a will. As God has the ability to love perfectly within the Trinity, he creates you to be able to receive that same love that he has within the Trinity because he's created you in his image. I'm not going to do the Psalm scripture. So it brings up a, an interesting concept of love that I've myself said. Have any of you ever heard of this concept of the unconditional love of God? Has anyone ever heard of that? Okay. Do you know that that is not biblical? It's not found in Scripture. It's not defined like that in Scripture. And yet it's something that we tell people that God loves you unconditionally. But as I'm going to show you, there is an aspect of God's love that is unconditional. But it is not a save in love. And it is not the love that he has for his own son. But I'll get to that. In fact, the problem with preaching an unconditional love is that people go, if God's love for me is unconditional, I don't have to change. But God has drawn a boundary on his saving love. And that boundary is his son. In Deuteronomy 7, we read, and I'm going to paraphrase it now, God basically says to his chosen people, Israel, he says, I didn't love you because you're amazing. He says, you're amazing because I loved you. God's affection isn't placed because of the value of the item or because that thing is worthy of his love. That thing only becomes worthy because God loves it or him. Okay, so let me go to the first type of love here. It's the first time I heard of this concept. I'm going to share three concepts with you, and then I'm going to land it. The first is what is called the love of benevolence. Has anyone ever heard of that? You probably have. Okay. The root word of benevolence, bene, meaning good, and volence, meaning the will. And now this is it's almost obvious because God is good. Someone says to Jesus, my good teacher, and he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And God has a purpose, a will, for all of his creation. And because God is good in his nature, we must understand that his will is good. And this is the unconditional love that man experiences. 
the goodwill of God, but it is not saving love. God is also a God of wrath because he's righteous. In Romans 2, it says this, knowing that God loves people and shows them goodwill, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience? All three of those are attributes of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. As loving as God is, his love never negotiates away his holiness, his justice, and his righteousness. It's the story of the judge, the righteous judge, who always does what is right. He always makes the right call. And one day, he's waiting on his stand, and in walks his son. And this judge loves his son with everything that he is. But because of his righteousness, he has to call his son guilty, as he's found guilty. God's love for us doesn't mean that we cannot be found guilty before him, but he makes a way out. The second attribute of God's love is called the love of beneficence. And this is the, the doing love of God. It flows out of his good will for you. God's will for your life is so great that he actually did something about it. This is also known as the common grace that is on all men. The love of benevolence. Let's put up Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was something that the Jews had written into their law and the interpretation of love, that you had to love your friends, but not your enemies. You were allowed to hate them. But I tell you, love your enemies, and this is Jesus speaking, and pray for those who persecute you. Sounds similar to when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he was praying for the people who were driving the nails through his hands. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, i.e., for you to represent God, you have to love your enemy. What does that mean? God currently loves his enemies. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God's perfect, holy love loves his enemies. Loves his enemies so much that he was willing to do something about it. It says in Romans 5 verse 10, For if, and we know that we all fall short of God's 
standard. We are all sinners. Romans 5 verse 10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, that means brought back together in relationship with Him, to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? God saves all of us from being His enemy. At one point, shall I say, at one point we were all His enemy. And He loves His enemies. The common grace is that if you look around, man enjoys life. Whether you serve God or you don't, you can have kids and enjoy the love of your kids. You have the breath in your lungs. You get to view the beauty of the mountain. You have the ability to think, make your own decisions. This is all the common love of God. But it's meant to lead us to repentance. It was one of the things that I, I noticed when I, we le- held out the gospel to my dad on the last day while he was still, he was about to go and be with the Lord, hours or minutes before. Dad, you need to be saved. No, my boy, I've lived a good life. I'm satisfied. My dad experienced the love of God, his beneficence. God acting to my father in love. Because he loved him. But my dad never been able to receive the true love of God. So now let's go to the most famous scripture probably in the Bible. John 3 verse 16. So now we can read this and understand this. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That word so can be interpreted in two ways. Some people say, God loves the world so much as in a magnitude of his love for the world. And it's true because he paid an incredible price for the world. But I read it like this. God loved the world in this way. So, in this way. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. While your sins and my sin were the reason that the nails were going through his hands and that he was being flogged and the reason why he was separated from his father. God did it all in love. This is his love gift to the world. Those are who are his enemies and he loves the whole world. He longs for everyone to be saved. But you can enjoy the benevolence and the beneficence of God and never step into this love gift that he's given you. You have to receive it. It says in 1 John 2 verse 23, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Jesus, we know, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this is the third kind of love. It's called the love of complacency. And that word complacency, we would understand it incorrectly. We would understand it as a position or an attitude of indifference or smugness. But from the original Latin root, it's that in which someone finds great pleasure or delight. This is the love that God has for His own Son. It is not the love 
that God has for the world. He cannot find delight in the world. Why? Because the world has turned away from him and gone its own direction. But God has that love for his son. And then God sends that son so that he can redeem and buy us back. That we who believe in him would be found in Christ. And so the love that God has for his son all of a sudden is the same love that he has for us. Outside of Jesus, you cannot experience the love of God in its true form. You will only receive a common grace. It doesn't matter how good, well you think you're doing. It doesn't matter how poorly you think you're doing. You have to be in Christ because Christ was always the object of the Father's affection, not you and me. It's this love, and when Jesus comes out of the, it's this pleasure and this total delight that as Jesus comes out of the water on his baptism, the Father says, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So remember how God was loving in and of himself, enjoying love in the Trinity before the creation of the world. There's one other thing I can find in the Bible that God was doing before the creation of the world. And we're going to read about it now in Ephesians 1. It says this, For He, that's God, sorry, or Jesus, small h, I'm not sure. For He, God, chose us in Him, Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. That means that God, who is eternal, who stands outside of time, who is omniscient, who knows everything that's about to happen, is about to create the world, and he looks through time and sees that man will turn away from him and crucify him. And before he creates anything in all of creation, before time begins, God looks at you and me and he says, I'm going to invite you, knowing that you'll turn away from him and fall. I want to invite you into the same love I have for my child. And that's how he does it. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. The same way God has a love for his son. He says, I want you to become my son. In accordance with his pleasure and his will, his purpose, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. It says in 1 John 4, verse 13, it says, This is how we know that we live in Him, and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so... We know and rely on the love God has for us. For who? For those who are in Christ only. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. The problem with the goodwill love of God that a lot of people feel is they deserve or that they live in is it is not eternal. It is not 
infinite in its extent. While people can enjoy that love of God here on earth, there will come a day when they will stand before that righteous judge, that one who in his holy justice and loving justice had to condemn his own son. The same way God will have to condemn mankind. And yet we know the story that the judge gets off his, out of his chair and he takes off his robe and he gets down and he says, my boy, I love you. You need to be punished. I'll take the punishment for you. And the father gets flogged for his son. You and I are that son. So what does this do for us when we enter into the love of God? Remember, I spoke about identity. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You get a new identity. In John 1, it says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Not children born of human decision or natural descent or a husband's will, but born of God. Your identity becomes a child of God. And let me knock the nail in the coffin. 1 John 3 verse 1. See what great love the Father has for us, those who are in Christ, that we should be called children of God. And God's love flows over his children in an experiential way like you've never experienced before. Let's talk about value, because that's the second thing that love brings. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. You no longer have to go and find your value or your identity anywhere else. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, a life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. Your value is the blood of Christ. God values you the same way he values his son. That's your value. And your security. In Ephesians 1, it says, from verse 13, it says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. When you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, his own beloved possession, to the praise of his glory. We know that Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many rooms. If I go there to prepare a place for you, will I not come back? God's love for you in His Son gives you new identity. It gives you infinite value to the Father, and you'll feel it. And it gives you a security and a place where you belong. So let me finish with one last scripture. And this scripture is from Ephesians 3. And this scripture basically defines love in, in such a different way. Because I've taught you now about love. What is God's love? It's an intellectual, you've heard something of it. But this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. 
He says this from verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you in your inner being through his Holy Spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The first thing is that you have faith that Christ may dwell in your heart. Then he says this, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, what love? The love that God has for his son, that you would be rooted and established in that love. May have power together with all the saints to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of God. And to know this love, and the word that he uses there for know is an intimate, it's an experiential know. It's the same way that Adam knew Eve. There was an experience. It's about intimacy that surpasses knowledge. God's heart for you and for me is not to know about his love up here. We have to have some form of understanding, but it's to pull us into an experience. The reason why Jesus could go to the cross and go through everything he did was he knew who he was loved by. And do you and I know who we are loved by this morning? If you're in Christ, the Father's love is unlimited towards you because it's unlimited towards his Son. But if you're not in Christ, God still loves you. He's praying for you. He died for you while you were his enemy, but he longs to save you. It's, you're not living in the love that you were actually created for. So for me to ra- wrap this up and to go, I want to love my kids in the same way that God loves. I can go to him and I can say, Father, fill me with your love. Let me experience it again. And as I experience your love, I become a conduit and an overflow of your love goes into those around me in this world. Amen.